0: Maybe those designed by our descendants. So today we will be looking at the concept of living spaceships, or bioships, something we see a lot of in science fiction, though in various different ways. Sometimes it’s merely a self repairing spaceship with an AI like we see with the ship Liberator and its computer Zen in the classic dystopian sci-fi show Blake 7. Other times it's a sentient, living, but totally engineered spaceship like the Vorlon and Shadow vessels in Babylon 5. Other times it's far more organic, like the Leviathans of Farscape being more like a space whale that even breeds and reproduces, as we see with Moya and her son Talon. From a science fiction perspective, this is a really neat idea, and so too is the idea that huge space monsters might evolve to live in space, and we played with that notion in the bonus episode Void Ecology that came out Sunday. But the idea that life might evolve in space and be used by us might be rather backwards. What's interesting about living ships is that they could form the basis for machines turning into a more classic life form. Today we'll be looking at how that might happen, and how likely that might be, how the solar system and galaxy really gets colonized. But we need to begin by asking three basic questions. First, what do we mean by a living ship, or living machine? Second, why would you want such a thing? And third, what is the distinction between biological and mechanical? What is life? Not an easy question, nor one that we can rely on classic definitions for, not here on SFIA at least, where we spend so much time out of modern contexts. Just about any definition anyone normally offers, we can kill almost offhand by challenging at least one of the terms. For instance, the capacity to reproduce would seem necessary, but you are obviously not dead if you get a vasectomy or your tubes tied. Nor is a mule, one of humanity's earliest tinkerings with nature, not alive because it is born stale. The mule is a great example of us creating a life form as a machine too. Neither to say, mules or stale humans also have reproductive processes occurring all the time. Even excluding our own cells reproducing, we are essentially colony organisms whose minute by minute survival relies on independent organisms inside us, inhabiting us the same as we inhabit our own ecosystem and planet. Indeed that includes a lot of viruses and viroids which are themselves tricky fits inside most biological definitions of life but we usually wouldn't call a house or skyscraper or a city or a planet alive just because they had us within. So too, definitions of life tend to hinge on contrasting it against the inanimate, but my car is obviously not alive and is way more animate than your typical tree or fungus, which are manifestly alive. Similarly, artificial intelligence, in an android body or strictly on a computer, is nothing new as a concept here nor is the idea that a human might have their mind uploaded to a computer, same as an AI, but presumably not an AI, and live in an entirely artificial simulated reality if they wanted. And since humans are the only known example of sentient life, or at least sapient life, we can hardly use high intelligence as that definition, even if we broaden it to our furry friends. Few would say a microbe was intelligent or that it wasn't alive nor can we zoom in on biological characteristics like DNA, since an alien life form might not use DNA, or even an amino acid based protein, for encoding its genetic information. This tilts one toward wanting to paraphrase Justice Potter Stewart's famous commentary on Jacobellus vs. Ohio on obscenity, I shall not today attempt further to define the kinds of material I understand to be embraced within that shorthand description and perhaps I could never succeed in intelligibly doing so, but I know it when I see it. Where life is concerned, I know it when I see it, might be very appropriate, particularly considering it was a very clear thing to us until we started learning more, finding exceptions, and asking questions. One that doesn't get asked too much though is if we actually need a clear definition. Car maintenance is an expensive thing, as it is for the roads they travel down, the houses and buildings they travel between, and just about every other apparatus humans use a lot. It certainly would be nice if they required no maintenance, either being ultra-sturdy or self-repairing. And this is far more true of interstellar spaceships which need to spend centuries traveling the void between destinations, or any artificial habitat we might build like an O'Neill Cylinder or Artificial wall which are substitutions for Earth, which we typically think of as requiring no intelligent maintenance, since we tend to assume it has none, or at least most of us these days think so, but certainly many of our ancestors disagreed, while simultaneously having definitions for life that excluded the inanimate. The border was not alive, the fungus on it was, and while most of us would extend that analogy to our planet, our ecosystem being the fungus on the world-sized border, In the end, our ancestors might prove a lot more correct in their attitude. See if we terraform another planet, it is very likely to need methodical effort to keep it terraformed, at the very least in carefully tailoring the organisms there to maintain that environment, and needless to say, any artificial habitat would need that maintenance too. This does not necessarily require going all in with self-repair, something with cells and organs that repair or replaced themselves. You might have a car that's simply computerized enough to know its tire is getting bald or its engine needs a piston replaced, self-diagnosing, and simply sends a request for approval to you or an inquiry to its manufacturer about what to do, then drives itself off to a mechanic. We are clearly already going that route, with more and more computerization and devices that self-diagnose and get constant update patches from its creator. With self-driving cars, one able to take itself in for repairs would seem viable. This doesn't help us much with other machines though, and while home delivery and pickup is getting far smoother and easier and cheaper, so that the machine might just send out a repair call for a pickup by a drone or such that comes to your home. It obviously doesn't work for your home, which is rather hard to haul away for repairs, plus you live inside it. One way we picture this is that self-repair might be done by a host of tiny robots going around doing the work, but in such a case they'd seem more like the life form that repaired a non-living machine. Of course if they are operating under the control of a sentient AI, one might argue that the house was more like the skeleton of that house computer and little robots, be they the vacuum cleaner or the nanorobots fixing the wall, were its flesh and blood, or symbiotic organisms under its management. There's a pretty obvious motivation for self-repair and general automation like that, and not merely convenience, the savings in time and money would obviously be huge. And while I always counsel folks to learn many skills, I have to say I don't think I ever gained much from learning how to put drywall up or nail shingles on my roof, and I don't think our civilization would lose much if our roads were altered to be more like bone with some machine or tailored lifeform appearing them. Indeed that's another pathway we might see our machines go, and yes roads and highways are machines under most definitions of machine a term that is just as broad and vague as life, and to which I know it when I see it probably not only applies but likely should also be something we should be asking ourselves if we actually need a strict definition for. Picture a road with all sorts of conduits through it carrying water, sewer, electricity, etc. Now imagine one that also had an equivalent of blood a nutrient for feeding the repair mechanisms of that road and which could scab over a spot that had a pothole ripped into it. Such an invention would be worth trillions in long-term savings and even safety. Picture one a bit smarter that plows itself of snow, keeps warm enough not to ice over, that cleans and mows its own ditches and berm, and that keeps the cracks in its adjoining sidewalk free of weeds. Imagine one that knew when people or animals were crossing when cars were approaching and could shout out at everyone to avoid collisions. It's easy to see how a living ship, able to repair itself and maybe also smart enough to navigate or protect itself, might be very popular for interstellar or even interplanetary economy, or to see how self-repairing appliances or a house AI that could see to such repairs would be useful but we can start seeing how this could apply to all sorts of things where whole communities use them, not just a single person or family or a ship's small crew. We'll come back to this concept in a bit, but let's get to spaceships, beginning with that crew. We often see small crews on sci-fi TV shows because we really only want or need a small cast. And it's amusing that even when we have big crews on such ships, they tend to almost be as much in the background as the huge crews involved in making those shows, who rarely get noticed unless one is accidentally in a shot or left their coffee cup in a shot. Bioships in fiction are a nice way around this, allowing monstrously huge ships that only need a very small crew, and often don't need any at all beyond a desire to serve or a general lack of purpose without them. This is maybe not too far off the mark either, because while such crew exists in the show to give us humans to see and center the stories around, it's rather likely any minds we were using for such ships would be based on something with social tendencies and a fondness for people to make it easier to fit into our purposes, so they might need people on board to feel comfortable and happy with their tasks. In fan wars about sci-fi spaceships, it will often get noticed that many of those leviathons, with crews sighted in the hundreds or even thousands, are woefully understaffed, or at least underpopulated. The USS Enterprise-D for instance, shown to be of no higher density than a typical naval vessel, which is to say, less than water, one ton per cubic meter so they don't sink, has 1,014 crew and is listed as having a displacement of 4.5 megatons, 45 times what a Nimitz-class aircraft carrier displaces, which also has 6 times the crew packed into it, essentially 270 times the population density. For the moment we'll just say the density of the Enterprise-D was the same as water, and thus has 4.5 million cubic meters of space, and a crew of 1,014. This would equal 4,400 cubic meters per person, a fairly spacious house or apartment is usually only going to have about 100 per person. For folks not used to metric, a 10 foot by 10 foot room is going to be about 20 cubic meters, and a spacious 2,500 square foot home of 5 people would be 500 cubic meters, or 100 apiece. When we start talking about the huge Star Destroyers of Star Wars or cruisers of Warhammer 40K, both of which use tens of thousands of people for their crews but which are often kilometers long, when you run the numbers you'd be talking about entire warehouse sized areas per person. Nor are they simply full of equipment and ship components, considering when they do list mass and size for most of these things, not only is it low density enough to float on water, many would literally be able to float in air. Of course most of these things are big simply to be big and intimidating in a story, but it should be noted that these things probably need that crew not for actual piloting or targeting, which would presumably be done by a computer anyway, but just for keeping the place clean. Assuming you even bothered, left to itself for centuries of operation, these things would probably accumulate enough dirt and debris to have significant ecosystems pop up in them, not just mold and rats. And many would be operating at least that long, if not far longer. The crew might not even remember how to operate or fix a lot of it, a problem we looked at in the Million Year Arc, and which a living ship helps with quite a bit. We also do have a motivation for building things that big, and for not wanting a very big crew either. Whether it's a colony ship or a bulk freighter, these things need to be big to get the job done. If you want to colonize another solar system using the transplanted ecology approach rather than trying to print or grow everything from frozen or digital DNA storage, you have to go huge. See our episode Exporting Earth in the Generation Ship series for details. If you're using that approach, you've got living ships one way or another. Some bulk freighter that spends thousands of years in service, slowly moving cargo here and there, is essentially an artificial world all on its own. It's very likely to have internal hydroponics and gardens for the crew, even if it's just a handful of people, and could very easily have rats and cats for catching them, as many seagoing craft have had, though some kind of cargo sterilization protocols may be necessary as a type of frontline immune system, but inevitably it won't be completely effective. It's also very likely most of such ships would be lit and pressurized too, powerful life support is one thing any interstellar vessel will have a huge surplus of. And it makes a lot of sense to keep your air and water reserves, of which you need a lot for long duration voyages, actively in play rather than seeing some pressurized tank where they will leak. Even areas kept under partial pressure or close to vacuum could easily end up inhabited too. As we noted in void ecology, plenty of life seems capable of existing in vacuum, especially if shielded from radiation and if it's got a smooth transition for evolution via regions of partial pressure, or inevitable slow leaks like around airlocks, you could get a lot of life there. It may not be a very lush ecological niche to fill, but some extremophile will probably do it, assuming we don't just make something that does. Having an organism, or some machine that might as well be an organism, that runs around your ship or habitat hull fixing all the damage from radiation and micrometeors is just as desirable as the ones that can fix a house or road, more so because houses are fairly small affairs. And roads are long but skinny, but some O'Neill Cylinder housing hundreds of thousands probably has several football fields worth of external hull per person, if not more and some lightly crude bulk freighter would vastly exceed that. You're not going to want to do that by hand, and if you're using robots anyway, ones that reproduce and do their work mostly without oversight is ideal. Robots or Adapted Lifeform, or bio-machine, you probably don't want it any smarter or more aggressive at its job than it needs to be, and you probably want specialized species for each main task moving more toward our living ship concept being an ecosystem rather than an organism, but the alternative path, of giving the whole thing an overall consciousness, animal or human level, is also attractive and might be used as an alternative, one big body with organs or species of microbe equivalents inside it, not that either is exclusive of the other. Such an organism need not be smarter or even as smart as the stuff living inside it, Any more than a house need be as smart as its owners or even the cats or dogs or rats living in it. But it would be very tempting to go this path, after all we know the desire for automation, just because we can use the crew doesn't mean we want to, nor that the crew need be human even if it has humans on board. A post-scarcity civilization may easily be able to afford such things and to pay the crew, but may not be able to find anyone willing to be that crew, since it's sort of the nature of a post-scarcity civilization that it's very hard to fill any jobs people don't enjoy. Even a colony ship might have no crew, just people who live inside it, or were frozen for the duration. On some boring freighter run, a huge ship carrying gigatons of ice or metal between worlds at slow speeds, trying to find a crew might be a hassle. Indeed, even some ship that exists for no other reason than to ferry people back and forth from Earth to Mars is ideally so automated it just runs itself. After all, we did make these organisms intelligent, and this is us we're talking about too. We anthropomorphize everything, or at least give them some sort of personality, so if we can actually do that rather than pretending, we probably will. We are either going to embrace artificial life or ban it, and even if we ban human or superhuman artificial intelligence, I really doubt we'd see a ban on animal-level intellects, which really is sufficient for most of our purposes, assuming you do it right in terms of setting up the instinctive knowledge and senses, navigating the solar system or even the galaxy is actually a lot easier than moving around a planet. You're just configuring those sensory organs and wetware with space in mind. So it's a radar dish rather than ears, and telescopes for eyeballs. And since we're talking about things in the blurry zone of life and machine, it could be set up to navigate off artificial positioning systems, like our GPS, instead of having to plot position off the plants or pulsars, which could certainly be done too. I should note incidentally that when I say telescopes and radar dishes as eyes and ears, I'm just being metaphorical, but this is space and a giant ship so it need not be very metaphorical, you could grow an eyeball the size of a football stadium. We're not actually picturing anything very organic in the classic sense though. You could make an organism that could live in space and slowly drift around eating and literally digesting small asteroids and using the waste from that as propellant, and develop some biological photovoltaic devices too, which were organic but used light for electricity rather than chemical fuel production like photosynthesis does, and it could have layers of dead skin or scale for exterior shielding, same as we have just a lot thicker. I don't think that would likely ever evolve on its own, though maybe it could, as we discussed in Void Ecology, but it certainly could be engineered, regardless I'd expect it to be a lot more engineered but likely fitting this notion of the end product essentially being an animal. This is merely the start of such life forms though, not the potential final product. Such engineered life need not reproduce or mutate, any more than a mule does. However, humans are paranoid, creative, and lazy, so it would make a lot of sense to be taking this approach to bio-machines. You build the original to a task and arrange so that it's got some intelligence but nothing that would worry us. I'm not afraid of whales even though they could swallow me whole. I'm not afraid of turtles and wouldn't be even if I encountered one so big it had a planet on its back. I am not afraid of elephants, even if they were so big they could barely stand on that giant turtle's back. I am afraid of superhuman AI, even if it's on a computer, small enough to fit in my pocket. But our major reason for wanting to get to the solar system and the galaxy is to spread life, and that's a boring and exponential growing process, literally perfect for organisms tailored to reproduce. You don't actually need to be that smart to turn an asteroid into an O'Neill Cylinder, nor to be carrying people or other animal-level machine mind that do some specific part of that work, like cutting and installing airlocks or growing the actual door, you just need a blueprint you follow and some motivation for doing it. Similarly, as we discussed in the Gardener Ships episode, Interstellar colony vessels might be prone to going to ward after ward, with just part of the crew departing at each new stop, and indeed since those had to be essentially mobile factories might divide themselves into additional new ships as they go, since the galaxy is a big place that grows in destinations geometrically with distance from Earth. So a ship able to grow in size and divide or reproduce is very tempting, A space habitat able to grow or reproduce is very tempting. A habitation dome on a new world able to grow and reproduce is very tempting. A bunch of asteroid squid that lay eggs on asteroids which hatch and dig out metals and go somewhere for harvesting is very tempting. A big blowfish that sucks up gases from gas giants and spits them into a big factory station that rewards it with metals is very tempting. So long as they're smart enough to do their job, but not so smart as to worry us as competition, all is well, and they might be dumb as an amoeba or smart as a whale or even a bit smarter, no dumber than they need to be, no smarter than would threaten us. You can see how this might start turning into its own ecology, with big whales or space squid traveling between the asteroid or moon mines to the big solar collector fish near the sun or the big hollow spinning mollusk habitat cylinders. You can also imagine how this might all start forming something much more organic, especially if it's meant to be a vanguard operating well ahead of future human settlement. You can also imagine how space whales meant for tasks that are complete might be left to do their own thing and meander around the solar system in pods, a future humanity is likely to be fairly ecologically minded, and fairly relaxed about what ecology means, as that's kind of a prerequisite for terraforming or building artificial habitats, and arguably surviving long enough to be able to build such things. So I suspect we probably would allow those life forms we created to keep at what they were doing even if we considered it not really necessary anymore or non-optimal, either tweaking them to perform a similar but new task or training or modifying them, or just walking around them. Here at home, one can easily imagine how that might result in the construction of a Dyson Swarm that was more organic, be it actual lifeforms that reproduced as the habitats, ships, and collectors we needed, or merely those machines with ancient and venerable minds inside them, something like a genus loci, or spirit of the place, tasked with maintenance of the place or overseeing others which did specific tasks. Away from home though, it would be very easy to imagine systems unsettled by us yet having developed into full-scale Kardashev-2 ecologies, complete with giant space whales and space kraken and space turtles, all happily meandering about awaiting our arrival and mutating and adapting and diversifying. Might be tricky when we arrive, since we'd now be settling established ecosystems we'd likely want to preserve, not dead rock but personally I find that idea entirely appealing. And there's something poetic about seeding the galaxy this way, of getting to hear radio whale songs, or being just a bit careful arriving at some new rock, for fear there might be a big space crab waiting inside. It's hard to say what we might find out there in space, as the Universe is a pretty surprising and puzzling place, but that is half the fun. Solving puzzles helps keep the brain sharp and is an excellent way to learn, and that's something our friends of Red Brilliant like to emphasize in all their courses. They've got a great new one on science puzzles where you learn as you play with puzzles on topics like House of Meals, bridge building challenges, and quantum light. The key to learning is to keep it interesting and find time to do it, and they help with that too by having an offline app that lets you download the courses so you can walk on them anywhere whenever you have a few free minutes, even when traveling where your internet connection might get spotty. If you'd like to learn more science, math, and computer science, go to Brilliant.org slash Isaac and sign up for free. And also, the first 200 people that go to that link will get 20% off the annual premium subscription, so you can solve all the daily challenges in the archives and access dozens of problem solving courses. So we have a special treat coming up this weekend as we team up with Jade from Up and Atom to take a look at Boltzmann Brains, hypothetical randomly assembled minds, and the Anthropic Principle, but we still have our regular episode next Thursday as we return to the Alien Civilization series to look at possible alien invasion scenarios and what might motivate any potential alien overlords. For alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel and hit the notifications bell. And if you enjoyed this episode hit the like button and share it with others. Until next time, thanks for watching and have a great week.